0: to episode 55 of Once Upon a Nightmare. As always, I am your host Lorraine and I am here to discuss the fictional horrors of the world. Sometimes they might be real. This week I am going back to 1982, to the one people don't tend to talk about. This is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. You don't really know much about Halloween. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal and the dead might be looking in. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red. Halloween, the children. You happen to know anything about this, Cochrane? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season. He's watching you, friend, Sh- I guarantee you that. Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Fellas, I was just kidding! You. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. Hey! Where are they taking her? They're taking her to the factory. I want a mask! Can I have a mask? Uh, Just what I had in mind for you, little buddy. Why, Congress? Why? Do I need a reason? I've got nothing here to indicate there was ever a body at all. Operator, this is an Emergency i do love a good joke and this is the best ever a joke on the children i'm glad you'll be able to watch it you've got to believe me they're going to kill us all of us stop it the world's going to change tonight doctor happy halloween stop it three season of the witch the night no one comes home halloween Halloween 3 is the one with no michael myers and to be honest with you when watching it i kind of wondered why they went down the whole halloween route and attached it to the franchise there are some similarities which of course i will go into but we have no myers and at the end of the day Myers is Halloween apparently John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were so over it and after the second movie they weren't keen to bring him back and they wanted to move on to something new But despite it not being linked to Myers itself, it does, of course, have that whole vibe of the holiday that is Halloween. It was written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. It's an 18 and runs for an hour and 38 minutes. It had a budget of $2.5 million and made just about $14.4 million. This installment is sci-fi horror and takes place in Santa Mira, California. It stars Tom Atkins as Daniel Chalice, a doctor with a little bit of a drinking problem. And while on duty one night, a man is brought in, Harry Grimbridge, and he is played by Alberry. And he comes in ranting and raving about how they're all going to kill us. And he does eventually die in what does appear to be suspicious circumstances. His daughter, Ellie, played by Stacey Nilkin, along with Dr. Chalice, decides to go and find out what happened to her father. And this brings them to this peculiar little town, in which a local factory is located, known as Silver Shamrock. And this factory makes Halloween masks, seems pretty innocuous at first, but then they meet some rather unsavoury characters who are all so nice. Now, while we don't get Myers or Laurie Strode, we kind of do a bit. So Dick Warlock, he plays an assassin in this, and Jamie Lee Curtis, she plays the voice of the curfew announcer and a telephone operator. Plus, Carpenter and Hill do come on board as producers on the condition that it wasn't directly tied with the first two Halloween films. The original idea for the Halloween franchise is that it'd be turned into an anthology. Films would focus on the Halloween season, but they wouldn't have anything to do with Myers. Having the film with Halloween at the beginning would hopefully entice people to go and see it, but word would soon get out that Myers was nowhere to be seen, because that's what people expect when they go to see it. It's like that of any of the franchises. You'd expect to see Kruger, you'd expect to see Jigsaw, you'd expect to see Leatherface. You need that horror icon if you're going to sell it as that type of film. So the lack of him put people off and as a result, the film didn't do as well compared to the other two. But the sad thing is, is this film isn't actually that bad. I kind of liked it and had they just had it as a halloween season film with no links to the actual franchise it might have done better the film wasn't rubbish but i think the lack of myers was just the big issue and i guess people went um expecting to see him so they would have felt a bit cheated now obviously in today it would be splashed all over social media whereas back then it probably wasn't as uh easy to know so from the offset with the credits the music by john carpenter and alan hawthorne we don't really know what we're in for. We do get our pumpkin, but this comes in the form of some questionable graphics through the television. Okay, I know it's 1982. And Halloween has such an iconic theme. It's a great score. And this one, while well, good, I feel like it's a bit more sinister than the, than the original one. I felt the original one was a little bit more playful. I love the original one. Uh, but this track, it, you keep waiting for it to kind of like build up. But it doesn't. But it's quite slow. And it's very eerie, but it ends with this really creepy digital pumpkin face. Wallace, though, doesn't waste much time in setting the tone of what this film will be. We see a man running. He's frantic in the dead of night. No one is around and he's definitely trying to get away from something or someone. He keeps looking over his shoulder before we actually see that he's being chased by a car. And the men that are chasing him, when we do finally see them, they have no emotion to them. You straight off feel that they're not human or they've just got no regard for human life and are under orders to basically do whatever they have to do no matter what and the way they move too it's there's nothing there it's very robotic they don't speak We see their faces, they are human faces, but there's nothing going on behind the eyes and there's no sense of urgency with them. When you see someone getting attacked, you you expect to see a lot of flailing about and, you know, speed, basically. But, you know, from the offset, you know, with these robots, there's just something that's not right with them. And I suppose at this stage, we don't really know that they're robots. So as they catch this man, who turns out to be Harry, we see that they have one agenda and that agenda is to simply kill him. So they manage to get him down and they start strangling him. But when they're strangling him, the only movement is them strangling him. It's like the rest of their body isn't moved. Their hands are just around his neck. And you feel that when strangling someone, there would be some sort of effort in it. And there there isn't. But they just happen to be strangling him, basically. Harry does manage, though, to pull a block from under a car that crashes into him. And it does come down quite slowly. So you'd expect the person to react. But again, this robot man just turns his head slowly, doesn't react, doesn't look scared, just gets a bit squished really. And there's no sound, there's no pain, there's no discomfort looking, there's just nothing there. And in a sense, it kind of reminds me of Myers in that sense that we don't see these men as anything but killing machines. And that's how we do see Myers. He had that kind of vibe about him, not really much going on, except they didn't have the cool mask. So as Harry runs, he's looking for help, got to this petrol station where this guy's working there. And this is where we first see a bit about how one of the pillars from Stonehenge has been stolen. And then we're introduced to this ad that we see throughout the film. And this plays a massive part. But at this stage, we just think it's a weird ad. And they're telling us a story from Stonehenge. And the ad comes from the factory, Silver Shamrock Novelties. And they play this song. And it's kind of like, London Bridge is falling down. But the song they're singing is like the countdown to Halloween. So eight more days to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Yes, I know. I should have been a singer. And it's quite creepy, but they are just selling masks. So at this time of year, Halloween, you wouldn't think anything of it. And you really still have no idea what's going on. So Harry's taken to hospital by this guy in the petrol station. And he really makes a massive deal about the fact that he had nothing to do with this He just found the guy. He wanted to do the right thing and he cannot stress this enough. And then he just leaves. And Harry is now, as we would think safe and secure in the hospital, but he was right. People are trying to kill him as we just saw, but they've made their way to the hospital. And the death again is quite brutal, but again, very robotic, very no no emotion behind it. No sense of urgency behind it as they just, they seem to like the head. These guys, these guys seem to like going for the head and, uh, You know, just eyes, stick their fingers in your eyes as you do. And, but after he's killed, you know, this like private investigation begins with Ellie and Chalice heading towards the factory. So Ellie, the daughter of Harry, she can't get her head around what's happened. It just doesn't make sense. And I think in a lot of films, we tend to get this kind of plot line, don't we? Where, you know, somebody goes snooping, usually not anyone in any sort of authority to do this type of job. because. You know, the the police don't seem to have any sense of urgency that something's wrong. And like a man is seen leaving Harry's room like this nurse panics and she's like, you know, he's that way, he's that way. And then this guy just sets himself on fire, you know, again, with no emotion. But the police are like, oh, he must have just been on drugs. And, you know, they're just uh, that's one thing that's really frustrating. And, you know, happens in real life, too, where the police can be really quick to pass stuff off because it just comes across like they don't want to do the work. And when they're even speaking to Ellie, like she's, they're talking to her like she's got no capability to even begin to understand what's happened. And she, again,'s just brushed off. Like they just want to get rid of her. But luckily, Chalice, as well, he isn't buying the whole bloke on drugs thing. Like this type of thing just doesn't happen. And so he obviously starts in motion to get his own autopsy because he wants to find out really what happened with this guy who set himself on fire. So, as Ellie and Chalice are like on this mission and they go looking, they they do pretend to be a couple. And there's this relationship that happens between them. And I'll be honest with you, it happened a little bit too quickly for my liking. And it felt like a bit of a filler. It wasn't needed. Like they, they get this room together and she sat on a bed. And they talk about sleeping arrangements or something. I don't know. And it, there he was. Uh, where do you want me to sleep, Dr. Chalice? You know, this type of thing. And then he just starts snogging her. Like one minute, they're traveling to find out what happened to her murdered dad. And literally, they barely freaking turn the key. And they're getting jiggy, jiggy buddies, you know. It makes no freaking sense whatsoever. You know, the way he just goes up and just starts snogging her. And she's like, yeah, I'm down for this. I mean, great, get your bit. But it was a bit too quick. So Chalice and Ellie, they land in the town, Santa Mira. And it's quite a bizarre place. And Chalice refers to it as a company town. It's a very typical small town in America in the sense that you see someone new, everyone stares. When someone new comes in, everyone knows that they aren't from there, basically. And it's a very clean place, but it's also very deserted, and the people are a bit weird. And there's also security cameras everywhere, which I know today would seem fine. But back when this was set, it would be, well, I personally think it would be a strange thing to have all these cameras all over town. And of course, the cameras do that thing where they follow them. So when they're driving, the cameras twist to to watch them. So you're, you're not feeling too comfortable about this time. Maybe it's a place that you should leave. So straight off, Ellie and Chalice know themselves that something's not right. Cause, just because of the way everyone's watching them. They're not watching them in a like, you know, even having a little gossip or stuff like that. They're just staring at them. Just staring. Nobody's talking. Nobody's doing anything. Just staring. And plus there's this curfew at six o'clock, which is really bizarre. And they just like have to stay home after six. Please confine your activities to your own home. This is courtesy of Jamie Lee Curses, of course. But it isn't long before we actually do get the full brutality of what this town is capable of. And we also get a bit insight into the real town. So we meet this guy who's obviously, you know, he hasn't fallen into line with what this town is supposed to be. Cochran, who is... A name that gets thrown around a lot. So he owns the factory and he brought people into the town to work in the factory rather than, you know, let the locals have a job, which is a strange thing because you'd think of a big factory or something opened up, it would be opportunity for work for the locals. But this just doesn't happen. Plus, the scene that we see here is really quite opposite to what we witnessed when first entering this town. Yes, the town was a bit creepy, but it was very clean and it just looked a bit weird. So this takes place in the dark in like an alley. It's very messy, not the idyllic place we'd have they'd have you believe. And he speaks out of line and his death is really quite graphic. And they literally the robot men, they literally rip his head off. Like literally just pull it off because they don't like what he said. And, you know, this shows that they've got eyes and ears everywhere because he was literally down in a Little Alley. So how did they hear this? And like this name that gets thrown around a lot, like I said, is Cochran and he is Conal Cro- Cochran and he's played by a Dan O'Harely. So he comes across as a really like nice guy, he owns a factory, he's playing all these jobs and just wants the best life for everyone. And then there's this accident in one of the hotel rooms. And when I say accident, this woman's messing around with one of the badges. She's coming to town. She's not happy with her order from the factory. And there's a logo there. And it's from the silver shamrock. It's like this little badge thing with a um, like a chip in it or something. And it zaps her face. When it zaps her face, what it does is, oh my God, it's truly horrific to look at because it like splits her mouth open, but it's like all the lips just kind of like sh- like curl up, but split a bit. It's really weird. And her eyes are like, you know, all fucked up. And then this bug crawls out of her mouth. They're big on bugs in this. And obviously, you know that that's not an accident and it's pretty graphic, but it's really quite traumatic because... She obviously doesn't die instantly and you kind of imagine her panic as she's wondering what the hell has just happened to her and I really felt this one and it kind of went on for a little little while so I I felt for her, I'm not going to lie and obviously this is not normal but no one really sees her and she gets whisked away by a bunch of men in white coats and is taken off in a white van. And that's not what you'd expect to see of a scene of an accident, is it? You you know, where's the ambulance? And Cochrane then shows up, which again isn't, isn't normal in itself because if there was an accident, why would the guy who owns the factory show up? You'd simply think paramedics would come and bring him to a hospital. You don't expect to see him. And he's got a really creepy vibe. You know, the ones that are really nice, but you know, it's just, they're doing it through gritted teeth basically. And he really really gives off a strong um L. Ron Hubbard vibe he is the guy if you don't know that started Scientology and he's really creepy too so if you've um if you don't know what he looks like google them it's just I've seen uh Hubbard in some um obviously some footage and stuff like that and heard him talk and there was just there's just something there that reminds me of that and he puts obviously a show on in front of Chalice and Ellis but as soon as he turns his back he's like what happened you know, it's, he isn't all sunshine and rainbows as he likes to portray to people. But at this stage, we obviously are like, you know, this isn't right. The woman's face got zapped off, heads are being pulled off. It's fucked up. But they take it a step further. And this is ugh, really sad. So after this, we really do get a full extent of what is going on behind the scenes when his number one salesman shows up with his family. This is a very excited a family, especially the, the guy. When they arrive at the factory office, we briefly meet them before, but we don't get the full impact of who they are until they meet Cochrane. So this family arrives, the dad is a top salesman, and they just get treated like royalty. They can't get enough of this family. That is until they're put in this room. So before we get into that, so they are very happy and excited. And this scene that we see in the room is all bets are off. No one is untouchable. And I think what happens to his family is the hardest thing about what is going on just because of how happy the sales guy is. His wife is a little suspicious, but, you know, he thinks he's hit the jackpot here and he's just so over the moon. So the family are offered this tour and they invite Chalice and Ellie along, who are the Smiths. Um, Cochran obviously isn't happy about this because he knows that they're trying to find out what happens. So it all seems legit. They make masks you know, Cochran, he's been in this line of work for quite a while and he invented other toys. And he's also known as the all time genius of the practical joke, inventing things such as sticky toilet paper, Ooh, that would be horrible, and a soft chainsaw. But this family is a test run for Cochrane's sick, twisted plan. And this shows what he's really capable of. And Oh God, it's so sad when they're murdered. That's the only way you can put it. And it's pretty brutal because they go for the kid first. And that's the thing when you watch horror films, when they go for the children, which basically this film is all about the kids, you know, which we later find out. It it kind of always takes it it in a different direction, doesn't it, when it's children? Because you don't expect children and animals. You don't expect it to go down that path. But plus also the parents have to watch. And it happens all so quickly. They're confused to what actually is going on. This mask they put on, whoever wears it, um, it th- there's a there's a thing on it, like a, a chip thing on it, like a like a badge. And when this ad plays, it then kind of activates it, and it kills who's ever wearing it. But for some reason, so many bugs and snakes come out of it. Like I don't get what I don't get how that happens. And what makes it even worse is that they're in this room with no with no way out. Like you walk into this room that's within a building. So it's a room within it. So there's no windows and stuff, but it has curtains to look like a normal sitting room. And it's basically a tin can that you can't escape from unless someone lets you out. So this, this shows what we're truly in for with regards to the kids who wears the mask. We've really got a taste of what these masks can do. So obviously now Cochran's like, Ellie and Chalice I know what you're up to so he separates them both he catches them and she's been put away somewhere but he keeps Chalice with him and the way he's talking to him and explaining everything to him his whole sick twisted plan you know that his intentions for Chalice are not good he is not letting that guy go because he wouldn't tell him so much would he and when this happens to the family he gets the full view of it so Chalice gets to see the full impact. And the worst thing is he knows that his children have these masks too. So he has these kids. He knows that they could be potentially killed. So Cochrane takes the whole concept of Halloween back to where it began. He He just wants, he just uses what, you know, it's turned into to get what he wants. And this is done through the masks. So before it became this big, like, you know, money machine, which is basically what it is. Halloween does make a lot of money. Um, Cochrane wants to bring it back to what it was. So the ancient Celtic festival of Soin, which is a pagan religion that originates from an ancient Celtic, um, spiritual tradition, uh, at this festival, the people would light fires and wear a costume. And this was supposed to warn off any ghosts. So on the 31st of October, Halloween, the ghosts of the dead would return to earth wreaking havoc on their crops and causing trouble. So I obviously spent a big part of my life in Ireland. Um, I never really saw the whole Halloween thing as a big deal over there. Not that I can remember. America, yes, but not in Ireland. Even in the UK, I don't think it's as popular compared to other holidays. I personally love it, but I can see it's getting bigger and bigger. So this town is linked to an Irish settlement and most people when thinking of Ireland will go to the shamrock of course it's quite a symbol for the Irish and of course Cochrane in this himself is Irish. The hotel is called the Rose of Shannon, the pub in it is called the Dublin Inn. It definitely has a you know huge part of this film, a massive Irish vibe. You know granted Cochrane's plan is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know he wants to basically sacrifice the children to the pagan gods with the use of these masks. He's like some crazy sort of Mad scientist is, you know, bizarre. But technology in this film, it does play a huge part to say it's back in, you know, when it was. Obviously, it's not as advanced as it is today, but it plays a massive part. He has that room which he, he has this big room which looks like a hangar, and you know, the block from Stonehenge that that is in it. And it definitely gives off this whole Stranger Things vibe. You know, a small town holding a secret with some weird man controlling it all. Plus, as we see in Stranger Things, you have like the upside down as they keep it all hidden away. Just like this place, they're like chipping away at a block and they try and investigate what is going on. And, you know, the upside down, they have that thing that they're kind of getting through and all that kind of stuff. So there is a lot there. And that's also not all. It's the music. So the synth. Everyone loves a good synth. And this movie has that. If we look at the credits, we we don't fully know what we're looking at. It brings us in to what we eventually see over the music. And that's the same with Stranger Things as the words appear on our screen. We get the pumpkin, you know, it's a slow reveal. And I thought about Stranger Things quite a lot when I was watching this movie. You can see how they've taken from it. And also I have to say the use of music from Carpenter and also then Dixon and Stein from Stranger Things, it really does enhance the visual, but it's also great music to listen to on its own. Like one thing about this film, there's a lot of music when stuff is happening I don't know if they do it as much today as they did back then. Like it was a big thing back then whenever something happened. Like if you, I think it's, uh, you know, it's like, like when something's happened, there's always a little bit of a music there. But I, do we get as much today? going to have to pay more attention. So, but these songs, like this music, like I have to admit, I have listened to Carpenter and Dixon and Stein on my headphones while not watching any of this stuff, you know, I'm I love instrumental music. I'm a sucker for it. So we have this hangar where Cochrane has his robot minions doing all his bidding for him, and it then starts to fall apart. Like any great plan, it falls apart eventually. It's not going to work out. Not such a great plan. So on the outside, as I said, this factory appears to make masks, but as we see, the very thing he uses to try and sacrifice all these children is the very thing that will be his demise. So. As I told you about the woman with the badge, Chalice has a box of these things, massive box of these things. And somehow he manages to creep down to this room and put the ad on. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. And that is the joyous song from that film. Try getting that out of your head thank me later (laughs) uh so chalice just chucks all these badges over and so we're zapping 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 and the robots malfunction and they've got some like oh delicious green goo coming out of them they really are quite gross and it doesn't actually take that much to destroy them to say cochrane had this like massive plan it was really easy for chalice to destroy the like whole operation but you know what we do have we have ellie ellie's back you know, she doesn't say anything, but she appears to be going along with whatever Chalice does, which would lead you to believe that this is Ellie. But it isn't. You know, she's been turned into one of these. Um, ro- well, this is a robot version of her and she attacks him again for the face. She goes for the face. And no matter how much she chops her head off and stuff like that, she keeps going, keeps going, but going. But ultimately, you know, she is destroyed. Now, Chalice has escaped, but the whole ending of this film is quite ambiguous. We don't know how many kids he actually saved, so obviously he's turned you know he's he's killed all these robots and stuff, but we don't really know how he how many did die from this, and we don't also know what happened to Ellie. I think we presume that she got killed and they just replaced her with this robot thing, but again, we don't really know chalice does manage to call like TV stations asking them to turn off the Silver Shamrock ad. And while he is successful with some of the channels, it does end with a child staring at a screen as the ad plays and chalice is screaming, stop it, stop it over and over. So did any kids actually die while wearing the masks and listening to this ad? I wonder, do his own children survive? As, you know, we saw how panicked, you know, he was. He causes his ex at one point to try and warn her but of course she's not interested because you know he's a bit of a drunk and he keeps letting her down so when she calls she just thinks he's drunk and it's an ending where we have to make up our own minds I have seen that they're meant to be doing something with Halloween 3 again I don't know maybe we'll find out but what do you think Do you think he saved any of those kids? But also within this film, I think that is similar to Myers is the masks. The masks in this are used for evil. And, you know, while the people here in the masks themselves are actually innocent, it is an evil prop. You know, Myers needed the mask to complete his evil deed, as does Cochrane. He needs these masks. He can't do it without him. He may not be wearing them, but he needs them. So while there are similarities In this film with the other two, despite the fact that there wasn't really supposed to be, you know, it's hard not to compare them. I mean, we're all going to do that, but it's hard not to, especially that while we do not see Michael in his mask and jumpsuit thing here, we still have elements of him in it. You know, we have the masks that are used for evil. We have emotionless robots and not much going on there. And that's him. That is who Michael Myers is. So I think they took elements of it and then just ran with it in a different way. But I did, as I said, I like this film. I think it gets a bad rap solely because they associated it with the Halloween franchise. You know, rightly so, when we think of the Halloween movies, we want we want the horror icon. And, you know, it's fair, I think that people were disappointed. Maybe they should have been a bit more clearer. But this film should have definitely been made as a standalone film, and it might have actually done well but it's still worth the watch. So go watch it and just don't think about Michael. Just put him to the back of your mind and treat this like a different film. That would be my um, advice. And that is my little take on Halloween 3. Let me know what you think. Are you able to separate this from the franchise and actually enjoy it? Also, I thought I'd say any suggestions that someone has that they want me to chat about, let me know and I'll give you a wee shout out. I noticed a lot of people do that, so I thought I'd uh, jump in on the old bun wagon. And I'd like to say thanks for listening. And don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. And if you want any updates, you can go to Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare Podcast, Twitter as a Nightmare Pod, Facebook as Once Upon a Nightmare. You can email me as once upon Nightmare Pod at gmail.com. And I will chat to you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.